fashion things we're asking them to change, but we're really asking fashion to expand, to make things inclusive, not to tear what they had all the way apart. Welcome to Fashion Forum, a series brought to you by the British Fashion Council, aimed at creating positive change and highlighting the relationship between the creative industries, celebrating not only fashion designers, but the broader creative community. I am Sean Ross, a model, actor, musician, and today, the host of today's episode. A topic that, as someone with a visible difference, working in the creative industries is really important to me. Honestly, I feel it's been a long time coming, you know, being inside of this industry for, wow, I would say about 14 years. And I remember back then in the beginning, it was so scarce to see anybody visibly different, to be very honest with you. The industry was still hung up on the fact of using black models. That was such a big issue. And, you know, looking at today, you have people like, Aaron Rose Phillip, you have Winnie Harlow, you have Jillian Mercado. You have so many people out there that are having visible differences that are doing great things. It's a beautiful notion to see. I have brilliant guests joining me for today's episode, but I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and also answer why fashion? Why did you choose fashion? Or why do you love fashion? How fashion? How did you get into the industry? And now fashion. What does fashion mean? Or what is the future of fashion? I'm going first, why fashion? Fashion, to be honest with you, is a great space and a pillar to be creative. It is a great platform, I think, to propel yourself into doing a lot of other creative things. And I also feel at a point that fashion honestly needed a massive change. And it really was something that I truly loved growing up. How fashion, I would say that simply came from YouTube. I used to dance at Avenelli. Voguing, obviously you can see voguing is a massive thing today, you know, in the ballroom scene, uh, being discovered in that way and somebody coming to me and telling me, I think you could be a model and me not believing it. Now fashion. Now fashion, I would say, is something that is extremely different and it is a beautiful spectrum for me, but I will say that we definitely have more work to go in a lot of different areas. My name is Aaron Rose Phillip. I'm 21 years old. I turned 21 two weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> Loving that. I'm represented by Community New York. And I've been a model for almost half a decade in the fashion industry. And I have cerebral palsy. I am Black. And I am a transgender woman. I have had a very adventurous career. It's been anything but orthodox, but it's been so special. Why did I choose to get into the fashion industry? I've always lived in New York City, even though my family and I are from the island of Antigua in the Caribbean. We came here when I was little because I needed to enroll in school and also get medical attention due to my disability. When I was growing up, I just really loved fashion. I used to see fashion magazines laying around in waiting rooms of doctor's offices, at my school, you know, wherever. And I picked them up and read because... I really loved fashion. I had an awareness of the way that fashion is so interconnected to the world's culture and how we see and perceive each other as human beings and people. Like fashion is kind of the glue in how people see themselves a little bit. I became very disillusioned with reading the magazines, seeing all the beautiful pictures and realizing that you're only seeing one type of person who is predominantly 
very tall, pale-skinned and white with blonde hair and blue eyes. And they are cisgender and they're not disabled. They're able-bodied. And, you know, when you walk out your door, especially in a city like New York City, you see all kinds of people. You see people of different creeds, backgrounds, ethnicities, races, you know, abilities, disabilities. You see everybody. So me being the person that I am, when you are disabled, and especially as a disabled child, you have to advocate for yourself. So you have a very special kind of self-awareness. I knew that there was something wrong with the fact that in something like fashion, you only see one type of person. It really made me turn myself on my own head and think to myself, do I want to do something about it and how can I do it? So how fashion for me was when I was 16 slash 17 years old, it was that summer leading into my junior year. I was kind of like, I'm ready to do something about this, you know. I... I'm not fully grown, but I'm grown enough to know what I can or cannot do to, you know, take the steps to become a model. Because what it is, is that, you know, I already knew that to pursue a modeling career for the purpose of what I was doing it for, an agent was not going to scout me all by themselves. I was going to have to put myself out there. The thing is, is that we are so lucky to have Jillian Mercado, who is really one of the first disabled women and models to really push for the ground. And I met her when I was like nine. And she was the first disabled woman I ever met that had such confidence and radiance, but also was so determined in herself and her path. And it set my ground for what I want to do with myself and my life, because I thought to myself, if she can do it, I can do it. She was the first woman to be signed to a major agency like IMG, having a disability in a motorized wheelchair. Because of her, I could even have the possibility of being represented by an agency in the first place. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be taken on immediately and that I had to put in all the work. So I used to be in the back of my classroom in high school. On one side of my computer would be all the schoolwork. And then it would be my personal email pitching my digitals to agencies and agents, writing to them. Hi, my name is Aaron Phillips. I'm an aspiring disabled model. I'm 17, 16 years old. Fashion is my passion. And I want to do this because disabled people can wear clothes too. (laughs) It wasn't until I took to Twitter, though, I made this viral tweet. I had taken digitals with my beautiful friend. I made this tweet. If I was signed or discovered by an agency, like, (laughs) I said it in these words, it would be over for everybody. And it's time to get into, you know, inclusion and real diversity and what that means. And it went very, very viral on Twitter. It was very interesting because even though I went viral, like I said, and as I knew would happen, I was not immediately picked up by anybody. So I was doing jobs with a lot of independent brands and streetwear brands at the time. And I just was really active on social media, like Instagram and Twitter. Other clients started reaching out to me, like American Eagle, H&M. Refinery29. And that was really cool because I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, this is actually gaining some traction. But the thing is, is that in all of this, I was so happy and grateful. But I wanted to delve into the high fashion industry because I knew that there is where there's a real problem with inclusivity. Commercial modeling is actually really inclusive compared to high fashion. In the industry, I'll say that as a model working in the industry, like commercial fashion is so inclusive and really sees everybody compared to kind of the progress and where high fashion stands even in in the current day. Like it's so drastically different. And so I started becoming more specific about my ambitions where I started telling the internet and people at large, like 
I want to be a high fashion model. I want to walk the one way, be in editorials and magazines. There is no one like me really there. And a beautiful friend of mine, I'm going to say who it is, Hunter Schaefer at that time, she was modeling in New York. And I told her about, you know, my modeling career and why I want to do this and how important it was to me. And she got me in touch with her representation at that time at Elite Model Management. And I had a meeting with them. And they told me, I have never seen anyone like you before. And I smiled. That's beautiful. So Laura, tell me about your story. I'm Laura. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Zebedee. I loved hearing your story, Aaron. It's just amazing to hear. But also so interesting, like what hoops you've kind of had to jump through to get where you are today and like how it's a different journey to many people. So, I mean, I guess like so many people, I love fashion. Fashion is something that's accessible for so many people to help them be creative. The how is a little bit more different really. So I've kind of fallen into this industry. Like I didn't really imagine that I'd ever be working in fashion. So I'm a qualified social worker. I worked with young people with mental health needs for many years. Also young people leaving care. So the other co-founder is my sister-in-law and friend Zoe. So both myself and Zoe worked with people with disabilities, like in a professional way. And we were just chatting about how it was really hard for them to be able to get into the industry and basically there was barely any agents who would consider disabled people it was literally a light bulb moment we just kind of said should we set up an agency and try and advocate for people with disabilities and to make the industry more inclusive Zoe had worked for many years as a model my little girl was doing child modeling at the time so we'd like delved into a little bit we, we weren't agents we didn't have a rolodex of contacts we literally started from scratch we had to learn everything when we started in 2017 it was so so hard people just couldn't even grasp what a disabled model was it was so unheard of the culture in the industry was I mean discriminatory really so from 2017 to now things have changed so much still I don't know if my statistics are completely up to date but as far as I know only 0.06% of people featured in advertising of any form have a disability and when that moves to fashion and beauty that's only 0.02% so that's Mm. around about 2 in 10,000 models booked have a disability and when you look at around 15 to 20% of society have a disability so why is there such a huge disconnect how can this be acceptable yet we still have to push so hard to try and encourage brands to understand why they need to be doing it almost having to prove the value of disabled people that you shouldn't have to do aaron and yourself sean you know like we know there's amazing talent out there so why aren't we at the point where it's just completely the norm (laughs) to be inclusive of disability you know the biggest issue that i've always had with fashion i remember there was a time like i said in the beginning It was very scarce to see anybody different. Coming from New York City, myself and DeAndre Forrest at the time, we were the models that were like really, really like pushing that narrative of being different and really, really putting it in people's faces. At a time in the 90s, when you had people like Connie Chu, or you had someone like Kate Moss, who isn't the average height of, you know, a a model that would walk a runway. These were things that were like, oh, we're just doing it because it's cool for the moment. You know, we're just going to do it. But with us, myself and DeAndre Forrest, I remember we both like kind of got like discovered around the same time. We were we were consistently being seen by like some of the biggest casting directors in the world, from like Daniel Petal to MTC Casting, JV8 Inc., all of these different things back in the day, you know, when they're casting for brands like Givenchy, Chanel, you know, being put on hold for brands like Prada, Dior, et cetera. 
when it was just a fragment of an imagination. And we knew that before us came people who made it even easier for us, like a Stacey McKenzie, Deborah Shaw, Alec Wet, even people, you know, when it's just inside of being a Black person, you know, to knock down those walls like Tyra Banks, Naomi, and Tyson Bedford, Thea Cabetti, Veronica Webb. You know, there's so many different people and it keeps going further back. But my biggest issue with the industry that I've always said is that the industry loves trend and trend doesn't only stop in clothing. Trend also is something that goes within the way they, they respect people. It's like, I want to hire you right now because it's a trend. You know, mm -hmm. it's a trend to put you inside of a campaign, but are you actually trying to understand and do research about this person's journey? And that's the mm -hmm. biggest issue about anything inside of this world is that no one actually truly cares as long as it's getting by. And that's mm -hmm. something that needs to change. But I wanted to start the conversation by defining the term visible differences. Laura, I'm going to ask you to start with the definition. So for our agency, we describe who we represent as people with disabilities and people with visible differences. So we've kind of broken it down there because we have disabled people who might have a variety of disabilities, whether it be a physical disability, a learning disability, neurodivergent, deaf or blind or any variety of disability. And then we also have people who have visible difference as well, who we would describe as somebody who may have alopecia, albinism, they may be a mastectomy model, people with scarring, people with birthmarks. So we want to represent people who have, find it difficult historically to get representation in a typical agency. So that's where we stand in our terminology of disability and visible difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Aaron, what does visible difference mean to you? Visible difference. I don't know. I, I never really, I definitely thought about the term, but to live as a disabled person, I feel like in trying to explain terms like that, it's kind of hard for me sometimes because I just live the reality all the time, I guess. Does that right. make any sense? No, it makes all of the sense because I'm the same way where basically what you're, if I'm correct, Aaron, is you've lived your reality for so long that sometimes you kind of like, like you don't, you don't see kind of like what other people see sometimes because it is, it's normal. It's, it's, it's human. Yes. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And also this made me really think about, you know, language even surrounding it because I guess that's my norm already to be visibly different and to see mm -hmm. visibly different people. It's just a way of being able to identify, you know, people like myself and myself even, I guess. That's how I describe that, it. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. And, you know, it's funny. Mm -hmm. I have to say I couldn't agree with you even more because that's how I feel, too. You know, it's like there really is no standard. It's just exactly. what exists. There are people out there who are able to use their legs for mobility. And there are people out there who may need assistance for mobility. At the end of the day, it doesn't mean that because this person can do that, it doesn't mean that they're unequal. It just literally means that that's that, that's that. And it's interesting how we still try to use this caste system of people and how they feel um, or how they are or how they were born as a depiction of the level of where you stand in society. It's kind of crazy. Right. Over recent years, we have seen increased representation of people with disabilities and visible differences on the screen, catwalks, models like 
Deandra Forrest, Stacey McKenzie, Winnie Harlow, and Mama Cox. May she rest in peace. Really led the way for more representation on the catwalk. Aaron, you have graced the cover of many magazines and featured in campaigns. Moschino, Gucci, Paper, V, to name a few. How do you feel when you see such a representation? It's all I wanted. These brands and their advertising and fashion in general have been so exclusive in how they relate to the people that are viewing their products, their clothes. And so when you are able to see a model who is a trans woman, a physically disabled model using a wheelchair or a mobility aid being able to, you know, walk a runway or be a part of an editorial or magazine cover, like, it's very special because they're finally able to take up the space and say, this is for me too. So it makes me feel really good being able to see that and being a part of those moments has really been the joy of my life, to be honest. Period. Understood. Okay. Laura, I would love to know, like, how do you deal with it also with, like, tokenism and how the industry depicts certain social norms there's a few things to say on this first of all you mentioned a little bit earlier about like how fashion looks at trends and then maybe this is why we where we are at the moment like there isn't enough representation of disabled people because it's not what the movers and shakers in the fashion industry think is the trend at the moment but i tell you what is on trend Mm -hmm. is companies taking their values seriously and being held to account as to what they are doing as a company like whether it be sustainability or inclusion. To me, if companies aren't thinking about inclusive casting and involved in that includes disabled people, then they're going to get left behind. Disability has so often been left out of the diversity debate. When we first started, we used to get briefs, you know, like we really want a diverse cast. They didn't mean a disabled person. Like we we jumped on that to say like, you said diversity, we are going to show you diversity. We are going to show you how to cast inclusively. And I think it was a shock at first, but like they hadn't been forced to think about it up until that point. They hadn't been like encouraged to think about casting disabled people. I think tokenism is right. like, it's a really tricky one. For me, I think like some brands are so afraid of being tokenistic that they then completely exclude a whole group of people because like they don't want to get called out like, oh, I don't want to be called tokenistic. But excluding people is worse than having one person booked with you. And the only reason you're ever going to be called out as being tokenistic is a one-off and you don't let it run for your company policies and the way that you work in future. Somebody has to be that first person of whatever characteristic they have that you're going to work with. And you've got to learn about that person, learn about their culture, learn about their needs, and then let that run through the way you run your business. I think that there's also a lack of of mental difference inside mm-hmm. of a lot of these companies. And I think that that's the issue. I think there are young kids that go out into the world to become a journalist, to become a casting director, to become an art director, and their voices aren't being heard the same way how the voice of myself, the voice of Aaron, the voice of Julian Mercado, the voice of Winnie Harlow. It's like you have to consistently push for something that honestly should come natural because it's going with the times. Of course, we can't only focus on screen representation. We all work in front-facing roles in the industry, but how great would it be to get on set and see people who look like you behind the camera or in the casting process? Aaron, have you ever experienced this? 
Nope, not a single day in my life. And I've been <laughs> okay, here for five years. <laughs> it's really traumatic. It is. <laughs> like, it really is. Because I just, I know that if there were casting directors of, like, you know, what's considered marginalized identities making it in fashion, if I'm to be realistic, like, there are still barely any black casting directors. Like, predominantly, like, big, like, ones that, like, are out there. Like, you know, there are only ones that are able to really get themselves known only very recently, slash now, because fashion didn't open that door for so long. To even think about having disabled people on set, working behind the scenes, making something happen in a fashion production, it's unheard of, much less even having disabled talent right now. It's mm-hmm. That's unheard of. But I truthfully, I don't understand why that's unheard of. I think, unfortunately, it's because disabled people are excluded from so many areas of society. We're not just talking about representation here. It's having access to equal education opportunities, access to work, access to social opportunities. Before we came on this call, Aaron, we yeah. were talking about what's it like to get around in London. Like, physically, you can't even, right. like, yes. you can't even get around. Like, so yes. There's so many barriers in wider society. There's a massive massive systemic problem and we're talking about casting directors but like it really needs to be that the boards are more inclusive i've talked already about this but brands needing to have like inclusive policies running throughout their whole companies and it starts from the top and it it needs to be everywhere and i think this is why we are in the situation where we are now where representation on screen is so poor because like the people making decisions are not diverse either right honestly i don't know what the answer is like the same as you aaron like i don't know why this is but if anybody is listening to this who is in a p- position of power powerful me- yes. people need to be making the right decisions laura i was so touched earlier off of so many things that you had said felt so disillusioned that having to essentially plead as to why disabled people are worth representing and you have to sort of like always advocate so strongly for that and like that really touched my heart because that's what it really feels like to even be a disabled talent regardless like you just you have to work so hard to even get anywhere as a a disabled talent and like Mm. it is really it is disheartening it's disillusioning and that's that's a very not nice reality and that should not be the case and um and it's consistent too you know Exactly, exactly. But I really believe that we need to be the pillars and and make spaces, um, you know, for people like ourselves. It's the only way it's going to happen. And there's going to be a small Aaron Rose Phillip. There's going to be a small Mm -hmm. Jillian Mercado that's coming up. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to look to you. And you know what I mean when I say this? They're going to look at Aaron to be mother. They're going to look at Aaron to open the door and be like, mother, what do I do? How do Mm -hmm. I get there? How do I do it? And that's what I try to do for a lot of young people that are either inside of visible difference that I meet. You know, I have tons of trans daughters and sons because I understand what it is like. You'd be surprised. You're like, this world is so big. Why isn't there many like me? Because maybe it starts with you. Yes. Yes. So we are coming to a closing and I have one last question because I feel like both of you have not asked it yet. And I know that you both have an amazing answer, but I would love to ask, what is the future of fashion? The future of fashion looks like everyone in fashion in a tangible way, not just within a trend, not just within one season. Like 
real big time like inclusivity where it's there are casting directors from marginalized identities casting major brands you know being able to put in models who are disabled models who are trans models who are black brown anything that's you know just different i think that the future of fashion i want the now of fashion to be that you know disabled talents can walk the runway consistently every single season be in every campaign we're actively being considered and thought about and Agreed. utilized, used, paid, compensated, valued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that's like a really important point. For me, the future of fashion needs to be more conversations like this. Like we all need to talk about this. We all need to shout it from the rooftops. We all need to, like I've said it all throughout, but we all need to think about our values, our company's values and make changes for the better. Like you can't underestimate the value of having a truly inclusive team, whether it be the cast or the people working for your company, the value that that places on your company and wider society and the individual is huge. All of the guys that we work with, all of our talent, the impact that working with Zebedee and with brands is, we have so many stories. Everybody has stories about like what it has done for their feelings of self-worth, that being able to achieve these amazing things. And then not only that, like the impact it's having their families and their friends and wider society. Being able, you talked earlier, Sean, about there's going to be little Aarons looking up to you. And that's absolutely true. It's so important to have positive representation of disabled people in fashion and wider media because that just impacts the younger generation so much. So I just really hope that there's people here listening to this who are there to make positive decisions and realise the value of disabled people and the value that it can have on the company. Like financially, you talked about Aaron, about the spending power of disabled people is huge. The spending power of their allies and their supporters and their families is even bigger. It makes financial sense to a company to be inclusive and to also to have people working within that company like there's evidence out there that says you will be more profitable. So like that there really is no reason not to do this. Brands do have a legacy. They do have a tradition. They do have what they call a heritage. So it's about looking at these brands and saying like, okay, like maybe this has been our heritage. Maybe this was what we were, but maybe this is where we should go because this is not only where our buyers are going, this is where the world is going. Fashion thinks we're asking them to change, <laughs> but we're really asking fashion to expand. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, to make exactly. things inclusive, not to tear what they had all the way apart. Mm-hmm. Expand and accept what's actually in the world. Yeah. Exactly. That's beautiful. I think that this was a phenomenal This is a phenomenal conversation. I love to hear from Laura. I love to hear from you, Aaron, and just both of your perspectives. I think it's a beautiful thing to have the British Fashion Council even bring us together. We're all in different parts of the world right now, but I think it's even more beautiful to know that even though we're not in the same room, we're in the same room. And we we understand the conversation and the assignment. Precisely. This was nothing but an absolute pleasure and an honor to even meet you both to be here with the British Fashion Council. like just, And the conversation has warmed my heart so much. Like, thank you literally so much. I've had That's such okay, a so. lovely time. It's really lovely to meet you. And again, I repeat, like, it's really great of the BFC to allow us the opportunity to hopefully have made people have a little bit of a think <laughs> about their value systems yes. and how they yes. work. Like I said, it starts with us. And let's hope, and not even hope, it will. 
but it starts with us. It starts with us. Thank you so much to Laura from Zebedee and Aaron Rose Phillip from joining us for this conversation. I'm Sean Ross, and you've been listening to the BFC Fashion Forum. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a friend. And if you want to discuss further, drop your comments at British Fashion Council on Instagram. See you soon.